Pastor Steve. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hey, good times, amen? Wow, good stuff. All right, let me get my uh, PowerPoint. It's up, so I'm not even going to do this. I'll just let you guys forward it for me, okay? Atmosphere changers, we're in week two. Last week, we only got through a couple scriptures. We'll review those quick, and then we'll just move on with where we were. Uh, Atmosphere changers, we are called to change the atmosphere. As Christians, we're called to change the atmosphere in which we find ourselves every day, in every place, in every way. Amen? Amen. We looked at some scriptures last week. We're going to look at some more today. Throw up the next slide there. Yes, there they are, the happy couple. Congratulations once again to our worship director and his bride. So happy. We're so happy. We're so happy. Congratulations. All right, next slide. There had, there's a video, and I was tempted to put the video up, but I was told I couldn't do it, so. All right. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, it is therefore no longer good. What is it good for then? Uh, for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket. But they put it on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And so we talked about this last week, the salt and the light. Salt has two qualities. It preserves things, and it also um, adds flavor. And so we, as the salt of the earth, preserve the earth, and we, as the salt of the earth, add flavor to the earth for the Lord. And so we, we quoted the, uh, the story out of Genesis with Abraham walking towards Sodom and Gomorrah with the Lord. And, uh, you know, he's bartering with God, will you, will you destroy the righteous with the wicked? And it came down to the fact that if they found 10 righteous men, they wouldn't destroy the city. But alas, they only found two, Lot and his wife. And so God was going to destroy the city, but he took the righteous out. But God said that if there were 10, he wouldn't destroy it. So we have this principle from the Lord that if, if there's... If there's one person, they provide salvation for up to, 10, uh, up to 1,000 people. It's a one to 1,000 ratio. So if there's 320 million people in the world, or I'm sorry, in the United States, then it takes 320,000 people to hold back God's wrath over the nation. Amen? Amen. All right, moving forward to the next scripture, Matthew chapter 10. We got through a bunch of this, uh, a, a bit of this last week. We're going to jump back in where we left off. And we're just going to keep going. Good stuff, good stuff, good stuff. Man, I don't know about you guys, but after worship today, I'm just like, this is good. Let's go. Let's go. That was it. That's all I needed. That's all I needed. Whew. All right, all right. We're going to jump in here. Uh, verse 11. Verse 11, now whatever city or town you enter, inquire who in it is worthy and stay there until you go out. And when you go into a household, greet it. If the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. This is a very interesting portion of scripture. What does that look like? And so we talked about how in the midst of uncertain circumstance, we as Christians can bring peace in situations. And I shared with you last week about how uh, we had sat with different people and 
just our very presence and being with them, words that we shared, we brought peace and they felt the peace and they even texted us later to say so. And so that's the call of God upon our life as atmosphere changers, that we would bring peace into every situation that we walk into. How many of you know that you can't give away something that you don't have? I could want to give somebody $100, but I don't have my wallet in my pocket, and so I don't have that cash, and I can't give it away because I don't have it. I can say, hey, I'll give it to you later, but what's that? But if I have it with me right now, you can only give away that thing that you have. Jesus says, and I think we've already passed over it. It was back in verse 7. He says, freely you have received, freely give. And so the peace that I walk in and the peace that I give out to others, it's not peace that I generate in myself. It's not me. It's I've received it from Jesus, and when I walk into a room, I let it out for others. Why would I do that? I've got peace. Why would I give it away? Because I know that God's faithful to give me more. And as a matter of fact, hold up. If I take that piece and I hold on to that piece and I don't share that piece, then it becomes stagnant within me and it's no longer peace. Oh. And so we find ourselves in this place where we can only maintain our peace by giving our peace away to others. And then we go back to Jesus and we get more. See, Jesus is our peace. Peace is a person. His name is Jesus And the more you have him and the more you walk with him, the more peace you'll have. To the fact, to the point where it doesn't matter what goes on on my left or on my right or good days, bad days. It's just peace. It's just peace. God, what are you doing? I can ask. I can just say, God, what are you doing? God, what are you doing in this situation? Because... I'm not, I'm, not afraid. I'm not afraid. I'm not terrified. I have no fear in this situation because I know that God is working on my, on my behalf for my good pleasure. God is working. And so no matter the circumstance, I don't look at the things around me. I don't look at the things that are temporary, transient, subject to change and passing away. I look at the things that are eternal. God, what are you doing here? And so I'm always asking this question, God, what are you doing here? All right, let's back back to Scripture here. If, if the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it's not worthy, let your peace turn to you. And whoever will not receive you or hear your words, when you depart from that house or city, shake the dust off of your feet. That's interesting. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Well, Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. They were flat out destroyed. Fire rained down from heaven and destroyed them. And so it'll be more tolerable for them than for this city because they wouldn't receive Jesus. Shake the dust off your feet. It's a sign. It's like, you know what? You don't want to have anything to do with Jesus? Okay. Okay. Verse 16, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. That's not comforting. Think about that for a minute. Sheep are defenseless animals. They have no defenses, zero defenses. You know what, a, you know what the sheep's defense is? The shepherd. 
That's it. That's it. It's the only defense. They've got one defense. It's the shepherd. And so I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. We've already talked about wolves. They'll run down their prey for days, for days, for days. They don't ever get tired. That's the way God made them. And so they'll chase a, 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 a caribou. They'll chase those deer. They'll chase them for days, hunting them, waiting, just waiting, 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 waiting until they get tired. That's the wolves. That's where we're going. That's what we walk in the midst of. And we're sheep. We're completely defenseless. And so what do we do? We have to depend on Jesus. He's the shepherd. He's the only one. He's the only thing that will defend us from the wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. I don't like snakes. Never have. Never. I just, there's something creepy about the way they move across the ground. Like things just shouldn't move that way. <laughs> to this day, I see a snake and I'm like, <clears throat> it's a garter snake. <sighs> Other kids are over there. They're like, I, I, I got it. Look, look. And I'm like, <sighs> I know that it won't hurt me. I'm just creeped out by it. And here he instructs us to be as wise as serpents. Hmm. Wow. Wise as serpents, but harmless as doves. As harmless as doves. See, an interesting thing about a snake is that they, they sit and they wait and they wait and they wait and they wait for their moment to strike. And sometimes they'll wait. You know, the difference between cats and dogs, there's a chipmunk in the yard and my dog's like, running over to the chipmunk, right? He sees my dog coming a mile away. And that chipmunk can get in a lot of little tiny crevices that, he, that the dog can't get into. And so my dog has a terrible record of chasing chipmunks. He's killed one. And it was in an open space where the chipmunk had no place to go. <laughs> and he was tired. The chipmunk was tired. This, this. But we had cats. And the cats would bring back chipmunk after chipmunk after chipmunk after chipmunk until the chipmunks kind of like disappeared. The chipmunks finally got the notice and they were like, listen, don't, don't cross that street because it's, it's skull and crossbones over there. It's death for you. And so the cats, man, they, they hunt different. They, they sit and they wait and they don't move for an hour if they need to. Man, I watch those cats and I'm like, wow, they've got some patience. If I had patience like that. Serpents are very similar. Snakes are the same way. They'll sit in a crevice of a rock and they'll just wait. Gotcha. As wise as serpents, but as harmless as doves. We're not here to hurt anybody. These are Jesus' instructions as he's sending out the 12, and he's telling them, as you go, this is, this is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to change the atmosphere in every single situation in which you find yourself. This is how you are going to change the atmosphere as you go. You're going to be as wise as serpents, but as harmless as doves. I'm still trying to figure that out. I've had a bit. Jesus t tells them this and sends them on their merry way. Okay. 
But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony against them to the Gentiles. And so Jesus is saying, you're going to suffer persecution. He's telling them this ahead of time so that it doesn't come to a surprise to them when it happens. How many of you, uh, if you knew you were going to have a flat tire, would make sure your spare was filled up? Right? If you know that persecutions are coming, you're going to mentally prepare for it, and you're going to be like, oh, that's because, you know, I follow Jesus, so it's okay. Not worried. Not worried at all. They don't hate me. They hate my, the message that I bring, the message of the gospel. And it gives us strength to keep going. But when they deliver you up, do not worry, verse 19, but when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak, for it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Holy Father who speaks in you. Listen, this verse right here, this is my, this is my life ministry verse. I minister through this verse. I minister through this verse. How many times have I been with somebody and they start asking me a question and I'm like, well, Pastor Tom never told me what the answer would be in this situation. <laughs> he didn't tell me what the answer was going to be. I've never heard this problem before. And so, listen, first time, I don't know, it happens a lot, but I remember this one time, this, uh, this, uh, I was working landscaping, and this young man who's a Christian, he starts sharing this story about his life and about struggles and things that he's going through. And he's about half in on his story, and I'm like, Pastor Tom? I'm like, can I pick up the phone and say, Pastor Tom, what do I say? I can't do that, right? And so what do I do? I just start praying to Jesus. I'm like, Jesus, you got to give me something right now. Jesus, you got to give me something right now. Like, he's speaking the words, and you need to download, because I, when he's done talking, I got to talk, and I don't know what I'm going to say. <laughs> it will be given to you in that moment, in that hour, what you should speak. The Holy Spirit does this for me all the time. All the time. <laughs> Listen, the most important thing you can do to prepare for ministry is just know Jesus. Spend time in that secret place. Spend time fellowshipping with him. Spend time worshiping him. Spend time reading his words. Spend time praying to him. Spend time praying in tongues. Spend time uh, just dwelling with the Holy Spirit. Because when the moment comes and you need to speak the words of life, they only come from one place. There's only one place you can go for those answers. It's Jesus. And he's never going to let you down. I can't tell you the number of times where someone throws out a question to me. I'm a pastor, right? People bring all kinds of tough questions. And I'm in the middle of that, them asking the question. I'm like, Jesus? <laughs> and at first it was more of this like, Jesus, you need to help. Like this cry for help. And now it's more of like, you've done it a million times. I'm like, Jesus, what do I need to say here? Because I'm confident. He's been faithful before. He's been, he'll be faithful again. He's never let me down. He's never come up short. He's never not given me the words that I need to say in any given situation. The moments where he doesn't give me the words are the moments where I don't pray and ask him for the words. And then I think with my own understanding and I lead with my own understanding and I mess everything up. <laughs> Jesus. 
I'm not saying we shouldn't have understanding. I'm not saying that we shouldn't understand the word. I'm not saying we shouldn't use wisdom. I'm not saying we shouldn't use knowledge, but wisdom is when Jesus shows us what knowledge we should be using. Someone comes with a problem. Listen, psychologists have three or four or five different avenues to do this. I'm not, I'm not a psychologist. I've not been trained in any of that stuff. But I know that Jesus gives me secrets that I don't even know. And so as people bring situations, I pray and I'm like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go this avenue. I'm going to say this. I'm going to say that. Jesus wants me to talk about this. Jesus wants me to talk about that. And so you have the same ability. This is, my whole point here is that we all, the hundred of us, the, the thousand of us, all of those of you who are watching online, that are, my, my, my goal here is that all of us become atmosphere changers, that all of us dwell with the Holy Spirit, and that all of us would speak by the Holy Spirit and say those things that need to be said when they need to be said. Apropos. It's a, it, it's a saying, it means, it, it means a word spoken at just the right time. How many of you know that when you speak the right word at just the right time, there's power there? And how are we to know what words we're to speak when? Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Come on. Come on. Verse 21, now brother will deliver up brother to death and a father his child and children will rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. People are turning people in right now over COVID. Actually, this is the main way that they're catching people in different things, people turning people in. And you will be hated, and so it starts with COVID and then it moves on to something else. We just, I don't want to get political here, so I'll just keep going. And you will be hated for all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end when, will be saved. When they persecute you in this city, flee to another. For assuredly, I say to you, you will not have gone through all of the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. And so there's a time to stay and there's a time to go. There's a time to, to, to dig in your heels and claim your ground. And then there's a time to pull up stakes and run for the hills. And so how are we to know the difference between the two? Jesus. A disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master if they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, the head of the, the chief of demons. How much more will they call those of his household? I've had people where I've been in conversation with Christians, Christians, people in the church, talking to them about the healings that God had poured out in the church. We've seen some healings here. And they, they I, I, don't, I don't know their intentions necessarily, but they, they say, you know, well, Satan can heal too. Uh, uh, well, sort of. That's a biblical, that's a, that's a deep study for another time. Satan masquerades as an angel of the light. Right, but, and so... I find comfort. I actually laughed when they said that. It's kind of a funny response, right? I'm talking about all of the awesome, wonderful healings that are going on in our church, and somebody says, well, you know, Satan heals too. And I'm like, <laughs> uh, and so I'm reminded of the scripture, that a servant is not above his master. And if they 
and if they told Jesus that he's healing by Satan's powers, why wouldn't they say the same thing to me? And so I share all of that with you to say that when you're in the streets and you're praying for people and you're seeing healings and people start to say, he's of the devil, draw confidence in the scriptures that say that they would have said this to you. Come on, Jesus tells you beforehand so that you're not surprised when it happens, so that your faith's not shaken. Actually, if anything, it strengthened my faith for healing. <laughs> it, it allowed me to laugh. It's great stuff. <sighs> Glory to God. All right, we're going to skip down to verse 37. We're going to skip a little bit here. There's too much to go through. I want to I try and wrap this, this message up today. We'll see how we do. If not, it'll keep. Verse 37, he who loves his mother or father more than me is not worthy of me. And he, who loves, and he who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross daily and follow after me is not worthy. He who finds his life, he who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. And so this is an interesting scripture. I got to tell you, I meditate on scripture. I read them. And then I think about them and think about them and think about them and pray to God about them and say, God, what are you saying here? God, what does this say? God, what does this mean? God, what does this say? God, what does this mean? God, what does this say? God, what does this mean? And this conversation with the Lord in my mind, it never ends. It literally never ends. And so then I'll read a scripture and then all of a sudden I'm fellowshipping, communing with the Lord, meditating on the scripture and my mind will bounce around through the Bible and pick up four and five and ten other scriptures that are all supporting scriptures. And so this is the way that I formulate my thoughts, just so that you all know, right? <laughs> I think, I th I'm a thinker. <laughs> and so this scripture says, he who loves his father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. Does it mean that we shouldn't love our mother and our father? No. And he who loves his son and his daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Does, does it mean that we shouldn't love our son, son or our daughter? No. And so, you know, I get to thinking. And so in this, same, this same scripture in another, in another um, gospel, in the gospel of Luke or in the gospel of John, the same scriptures in both of those gospels, it says it a little bit different. It says, he who loves his father and mother is not worthy of me. See, it leaves out the worthy, you know, more than me part, right? And it's not that we can't love our mother and father and our brother and our sister. We should, or our son and our daughter. We should. But we just can't love them more than Jesus. And so that's still like, I mean, we could still say, okay, I'm not okay with that, loving Jesus more than everybody else. And so we could say, I'm not okay with that. And so meditating on Scripture, and I'm thinking, and I'm thinking, and I'm thinking. And so, okay, okay, God. So let's just take a step back and think about this scripture. And so what would I do? What would be the expression if I love my son or my daughter more than Jesus? See, what happens is if I love my son more than I love Jesus, then if my son's doing something that's not right, that's not godly, I might even encourage him to lie or to cheat or to steal because I love him so much that I want him to succeed. See what I'm saying? See, if I love my son or my father or my mother more than Jesus, then all of the virtues, all of what God says, I can discount because there's something that I love more than God. 
But if we take that and we turn that around, and I love Jesus more than my father and my mother and my brothers and my sisters and my sons and my daughters, now no matter what they do, now no matter what they say, now no matter what they're trying to accomplish, I'm going to hold them to the word of God. I'm going to hold them to that which is true. And it's actually more loving that I do and I don't allow them to lie and cheat and steal to get to the top because it's real. And their feet will stand on solid rock and they won't be shaken. Their life won't end in destruction that way. And so, as you know, um, Ariana's engaged. We, we mentioned that last week. And so... For the first time ever in 2020, several experiences have happened to me. Uh, one of those is that a young man came and asked for my daughter's permission to marry her. And so it's been my longstanding um, policy, right, that there's one thing that I look for. All right, so for those of you who are looking to date my other daughter, I'm kind of giving, giving a little bit away. But <laughs> that's okay. I have no trouble with that. Listen, I've taken boyfriends out on coffee before and said, listen, I've got one, one thing that I'm looking, in, looking at in you. I've told people this point blank to their face. I'll tell you, I'll tell right now, here it is. The most important thing in anyone that wants to take my daughter's hand in marriage is that he loves God. I mean, you got to love my daughter, right? That's, that's a given. But if you want to take her hand in marriage, then you have to love God. You have to follow God. As a matter of fact, you have to love God more than you love her or your own mother or your own father or your own brother or your own sister or your own son or your own daughter. you got to love God the most. Why? Because I know that if you love God the most, if God is the number one thing in your life, then we can come to the table and I can just say, hey, you love God, this is what God said you should do, and you're not doing it. We can discuss that you might have a little bit of a inter different interpretation in the word than that, but listen, we're going to come clear on 99% of our stuff. It's really mostly more, as Christians, even across denominational barriers, we agree on more than we disagree about. We agree on 95% of everything that we believe, but we focus on the 5%. And so as long as you love God, First, first requirement, only requirement. <laughs> it gets real simple, guys, fathers. When, you're, when somebody comes and asks for your daughter's hand in marriage, it gets real simple. Except, somebody's laughing. Except, except that sometimes there's sheep's in wolves' clothing. Uh -huh. Or wolves in sheep's clothing. That's what it is. I had it backwards. And so you got to sort through that. And how do you know a man's heart? Glory to God. It's good stuff. It's good stuff. All right. Next slide. Luke 10. Luke 10. Man. All right. Before we go to Luke 10, I want to I start in Luke 9. Luke 9, 46. Jesus sends out the 12. This is great. I'm having so much fun. I hope you guys are having fun. We've got to end soon. May I have to, may have to keep some of this till next week, but I hope not. Luke, Jesus sends out the 12, right? They come back, and here's, here's, here's a little bit about what's going on. Luke 46, then their dispute arose among them, the 12 disciples, 
about which one of them would be the greatest. And Jesus perceived the thought of their heart and took a little child and set him in the mess and says, whoever becomes like this little child uh, receives me, my name, it, like whoever receives this little child in my name receives me and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you will be great. And so Jesus sends out the 12 disciples. They walk through the towns and they're healing the sick and raising the dead and they're doing all this stuff and success is flowing. And then the next thing you know, they're like, yo, I'm greater than you. Hey, I raised a dead person. And then the other disciples, yeah, but he was only dead for like 30 seconds. That doesn't really count. Come on, I healed a guy who had leprosy for 40 years. Jesus, which is greater, healing leprosy from 40 years or raising somebody that's been dead for 30 seconds? I can imagine the disciples asking Jesus these questions. Really? Guys, no. Ah, you missed the whole point. Whoever who is the least is the greatest. It gets better. Wait. Uh, verse 49, now John answered and said, Master, we saw someone casting demons out in your name, and we forbade him because he does not follow with us. He's not part of our small group. He doesn't attend redeeming love. So we told him, you know what? Quit out this nonsense of casting out demons. Who do you think you are? This is what John's saying. This is literally what John's saying. But Jesus said to him, do not forbid him, for he who is against us, for he who is not against us is on our side. And so I said this last week, but this scripture brings perfect clear, 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 clear point to this, is that there are certain things that are within the heart of man that only success will reveal. And so here we have the 12 disciples, they're going through all of Israel, their miracle signs and wonders are going on everywhere, and here's their heart. Here's their heart. I'm greater than you. <laughs> You know what, Jesus? We told them they couldn't do that. That's not, that's not it. That's not it. It gets better. Verse 51. I have trouble reading the numbers. In case you don't know, the numbers in my Bible are a third the size of the print. So that's why you see me squint once in a while. Now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up that he suddenly set his face to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers before his face. And as they went, they entered a town, a village of the Samaritans, to prepare for him, but they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when his disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, do you want, to, do you want us to command down fire from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? I want to know what happened when these 12 guys went out to their hometowns and had these little healing revivals where they went. Because you know what? I've seen the glory of God poured out. I've seen people heal. I've seen miracle signs and wonders. I've seen people stand up out of wheelchairs. And I've never thought once to call down fire on heaven. Like that thought has not crossed my mind. But here James and John, they're like, listen, Jesus, man, you know, they, they're not into you. And so you know what? We'll just call down fire from heaven. That, hit it, that city, boom, gone. All, all you need to say is Yes. Come on, it's a good idea, Jesus. You're going to like this one. <laughs> what did we just read in Luke 10 before he sent, Mark, Matthew 10 before he sent them out? Harmless as doves. John, are you being harmless as a dove? Let's call down fire from heaven. That's not harmless as a dove. You or I would be discouraged with such results. And here's Jesus' response, okay? 
Luke 10, verse 1. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also. Jesus is like, this is going great. Let's get 70 more and send them out too. (laughs) There's certain things that you can only find out about a person's heart, and there's certain things that you can only bring correction when a certain person begins to experience success. How many of you want to be successful? We all want to be successful in everything we do, and we should. And it will reveal your heart. And so when you have success, be on guard and watch your heart and see what comes out of it. And when you begin to have success, don't think, hey, I know it all because I'm, I'm flowing, I'm going, and it's happening. When you begin to have success, be all the more open to examining your heart. When, when I was sharing about uh, the healings and that person said, you know, well, Satan heals too. Well, I was very careful. I mean, I did laugh because... I was first immediately reminded of the scripture. But then I took time and I, and I actually took the words to heart and I was, and I was like, well, what's going on? How is this? And so I went through and I, and I had to restudy everything that I knew to that point. And I had to go through it so that I knew that I knew that I knew so that my faith wouldn't waver. And so I didn't take it pridefully and just say, and just cast them off because I understand this principle that success reveals something about a man's heart. And I always want my heart to be in the right place because it's always about the heart. And God will call you out every single time. God will pull the rug right out from underneath your feet if your heart's not right. God never has and never will have any trouble with taking a man out because his heart is wrong. It doesn't matter the size of his ministry. It doesn't matter how many people are in his church. It doesn't matter how many people he had saved. God will pull out that rug every single time because he cares about that one minister far more than he cares about the church. And he cares so much about the church that he's got to correct the minister so that the minister ministers correctly. It's a catch-22, and God's in on it. He understands the beginning from the end, and he understands how all things work together. And we can't understand that. Our minds are finite. Thank God. After these things, the Lord pointed 70 others also. Praise God. Praise God that he works with us through our fallacies. Amen? And he sent them out two by two before his face into every city and every place himself was about to go. And so I believe that this is something that God is putting his finger on. And this is something that God is putting forward right now in this moment and this time is the two by two. Right? I love these meetings. I love coming together for corporate worship. I love it. Like, Last year, in February, we had the opportunity to go to the Send, 60,000 people worshiping Jesus. I, maybe it was 40,000, I forget. So 40,000 people worshiping Jesus, all out worshiping. Like, I'm dancing here in the front of the church, and you, somebody, somebody's like, man, he's getting a little out of hand. Well, there were 40,000 people all getting out of hand with me back there. And it's good. I love worshiping corporately, and I love it. Man, I see you guys start to move out there in the seats. I I watch, and I see you guys start to move and jump up and down, and I see you shift, and I'm like, yeah, come on. We're worshiping. We're pressing in. We're bringing the glory of God. We're bringing the presence of God in this place as we worship. I get so pumped. But God in this day, he wants to highlight, and he wants to make you all, all of us, me included, he wants to make all of us confident in the two-by-two. Grab a friend. 
Grab your wife. Grab your neighbor. Grab somebody. Grab one other person. You're a Christian. Grab one other Christian and go out and just start staring Jesus on the street. Listen, people through this whole COVID thing, through this whole stay at home, through this whole don't talk to people, don't see people, don't touch people, they are hungrier than ever to hear, to hear your heart, to hear truth. And God has equipped you. God has equipped every single one of you to go out into the marketplace, to go out into anywhere you find yourself, and to bring the power of God. Maybe, maybe you just share an encouraging word. Hey, today's going to be a good day. Maybe you just have a conversation with somebody. How's business? It's terrible. You know, people aren't out. My, my numbers are down. It's looking like we're going to have to close. Let me pray for you. Whatever you can do to bring peace, to bring light, to bring the kingdom, to bring God in the situation, to bring hope, to bring encouragement. Whoever has more hope wins every single time. We have more hope. You had better have more hope. Place your hope in Jesus and then take that hope and go share it with the world. And we'll win every single time. The devil wants you to hope in things that aren't good. The, devil want, the devil's trying to bring hope that everything's coming down. The devil's trying to bring hope that everyone's going to die. The devil's trying to bring hope that everyone's going to get sick. The devil's trying to bring hope in a negative fashion. But light casts out darkness. Darkness has no power over light. Every single time, the light wins. Every single time, the light wins. Every single time, the light wins. Glory to God. All right, we're going to wrap this up. We're going to have to finish this next week. Glory to God. I wrote this message. I thought it would be a one-week one week message. It's going on three weeks now, but that's good. That's good. We're drilling down on some stuff. We're drilling down on some stuff. God wants us to be atmosphere changers. God wants us to change the atmosphere in which we walk. God wants us to go forth with power and authority, heal the sick, heal the sick, cast out demons, open blind eyes, all of this stuff. It's still real. It's still for today. Just start to pray. Start small. Yeah, if somebody's not doing well with their business, just pray for their business. And then go back a week later and check on them. How are things? You know what? They got better. Glory to God. It's God increasing your faith a little bit. Then the next thing you know, you're walking down the street and somebody gets hit by a car and they're dead and you're like, healed in Jesus' name. They get up. Come on, this is going to happen. God begins with small stuff. And when we're faithful in the little things, he brings us to bigger things. I don't know that I'm ready to pray for anybody that gets hit by a car yet. I pray to God that I would. I don't know. Until that happens in front of me, I, we won't know. I'll pray. <laughs> Give me faith, Lord. Understand this. Here's, here's today's takeaway. I know we have points on the card. Uh, they, they influence culture for Christ. Make war with the spiritual realm. It's supposed to be make war in the spiritual realm. We'll talk about that point next week. That's actually the next slide coming up here. Um, but that's all right. We'll get to it next week. Here's today's takeaway. You are the light of the world. And light has power over darkness. Take this home and meditate upon this all week. I shared this with you last week, and I'm going to share it with you again. 
because it's a principle that I can't get out of my head. And when I, when I speak a visual, to me, it really locks it away for me. This room has got light in it. I'm being blinded by these stage lights. But this room is lit. But in that closet over there behind Kathy, Kathy waved to us, is complete and total utter darkness. There is no light on the inside of that cabinet closet. We store our tables in there for our fellowships. And so it's darkness in there. And so if Kathy were to open that door, Kathy, open that door for me. I'm going to, wait, 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 don't open it yet. All right, so guys, you have to be aware and you have to be ready because there's darkness in there and it's about to infiltrate this room. Okay, open it. No, 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 no. Okay, so what did you notice? The, the room did not get any darker. The room did not get any darker. But what happened is the... the thank you, Kathy. Great job. But what did happen is the light from here affected there, and you can see the tables in that room because this light overcame that darkness. This is who we are, guys. And that's the world. And we have power over them. So stop believing the lie of the enemy. Don't be lied to. Power. Walk with authority. You know, it says of Joshua that every place that he set, he tread his foot, God gave him authority. Well, you got to walk with authority if you want to have authority. Walk with authority. Believe it. Believe that you have the power. You have the power. It's very interesting scripture. Hopefully we'll end with this one. Paul says, <laughs> it's not up there, but Paul says this. He says, run the, run the, run the race. Run the race in such a way that you win. Oh. How many of runners do we have in here? Am I the only one? Okay, buckle up, guys. We've got a few minutes here. I know. Oh, yeah, there we go. Nate, Nate, Nate had his hand up. Okay. I know, we're, I know we're running long, but you guys got to hear this. This is great. God spoke to me the other day. I'm running, and I've been running for a while. Uh, back in 2015 or so, the Lord spoke to me and said, when you're a full-time pastor, you're going to have to run every day. And so I was like, okay. And then I went full-time, and I didn't run. And so then my blood pressure went up, and so running takes it down. So now I run every day. And I actually enjoy the running. And the Lord speaks to me a lot when I'm running. And so I'm running, and I'm running, and I'm running, and I'm running. And I've got a 3.2-mile loop, and I've been running it for, I don't know, all year. As soon as the weather was nice, I was outside running, 3.2 miles every day. Not every day. I'd say three to four days a week. I try and do six out of seven, but it doesn't ever happen because I have other things come up. Anyways, I'm running, and I'm running, and I'm running. And so... About two weeks ago, I'm running, and I run the 3.2. And it had been my first time back because of the, the vacation and the, the quarantine and all that. It had been my first time back, and so I run the 3.2. I had, a, I had a good time. Like, I know what my time was. You know, I was running like eight minutes and 40 seconds, and so I was like, per mile. And so I'm like, man, that's good time. I'm like, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to do five miles tomorrow. I'm feeling good. You know, I'm going to run. I'm going to do five miles tomorrow. So... I started out on the five miles, and I was like, yeah, I'm just going to take pace. You know, I'm not going to, like, I can't, I mean, I'm running longer distance, so I can't really, like, you know, push. 
because I've got to run two extra miles, but I'm just going to set my pace. And so I set my pace and I go and I come in and what's my time? Eight minutes and eight seconds per mile. I'm like, what? So I run longer and I run harder and I have a better time. And so I'm like, man, come on. And so then the next day I'm like, you know what? I didn't have time to do the 5.2. Something was going on. We had to go someplace. And so I'm like, I'm going to run the 3.2. I said, but the scripture had stuck in my mind at this point, run in such a way that you win. And I'm like, I'm going to win. I'm like, yo, I'm running 3.2 and I'm going to push and I'm going to beat that time. I'm going to beat that eight minutes and eight seconds per mile. I'm going to push, push, push. I'm going to run in such a way that I win. And so I ran and I'm like, man, this is going to be a great time. And I cross and I do the math and it's eight minutes and seven seconds. Well, I mean, I beat it. I beat it. It wasn't satisfying. I wanted to crush it. I mean, I got two miles less to run. But my point is this. My, my point in telling you this whole story is this, is that we can get out there and just run every day and be like, hey, man, I'm just here to finish. You know, I'm just here to, I'm just here to cross the line. You know, it doesn't first or last, it doesn't matter. But when, but when you come to a place where you're like, I'm running and I'm going to win. I am running and I'm going to win. You run differently. You run differently. How many of us have ever played any game? You played cards. You played Monopoly. You played anything. Raise your hand. If you've played anything ever, raise your hand. That's all of us. We've all played some kind of a game. How many of you play just for fun? I don't. <laughs> I've learned. I've learned. I've learned. I had to learn this. I don't know where I get this from. It might be from my dad. I don't know. I had to learn how to play just for fun because I play to win. When I sit down at that Monopoly board, dude, I'm winning. I go in thinking about how I can defeat my opponent. When I sit down when I'm playing cards, I'm like, how can I win? And I know it's all, a lot of those things are just luck, but it's about Come on, I'm going to use every single ounce of strategy that I can. How many of you know that there's cheat codes online on how to win different games? There's a cheat code on how to win Monopoly. There's a cheat code on how to win all these games. I haven't looked them up. I haven't looked them up. Honestly, I haven't looked them up. Okay, somebody told me about two, so I know of a couple. Ah, truth, I can't, I can't lie. I had to learn to enjoy the game because there's a certain aspect of, of enjoyment. But you want to know what? In this race called Christianity, I'm not here just to enjoy it. It's enjoyable. It's the greatest thing you'll ever do in your life. If you don't enjoy your life, come to Christ. Jesus is enjoyable. Jesus makes it enjoyable. But after a little while, after a little while of walking with Christ, you're going to want to come to the place where you run the race to win where you run the race to win. You know what? I've been running for I don't know how long, and that was great. Uh, but when I started to run to win, I've got this new thing, and you'll see it. I, sometimes I post stuff, and I'll, I'll hashtag chasing eight. I'm chasing the eight-minute mile. Over three, mile. over three miles, over five miles, over 10 miles, it doesn't matter. I'm chasing my eight-minute mile. I'm chasing eight. The win for me right now is getting to the point where I'm running an eight-minute mile. 
That's the win, and that's where I'm at. That's where I'm, that's where I'm stuck. I'm stuck to win. I'm going to win. I will win. I'm running to win. And so in my Christian life, I run the same way. I don't run haphazardly, beating the air, like, ah, I've gotten up just here for a good time. I run in such a way that I win. I run to change the atmosphere every single place that I go. I run to bring light into the darkness. I run to bring healing to the sick. I run to cast out demons for those who are are being tortured and possessed. I run in such a way that I win. I want to win. I want to win for Christ, and I want to see Christ win. He has won. He is the victory, and I want to run in such a way to bring glory to God. Man, it's fun. It's fun when you reach goals. It's fun when you hit that eight-minute mile. It's fun when you do something for Christ, and it pays off. All the prayer pays off. All the reading of your word pays off. All your time spent with Jesus pays off. When you see that life before you transformed for Christ, no greater feeling. This is why we do what we do. Run in such a way that you win. Run in such a way that you win. Listen, if you're here today and you've never followed Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you're watching online and you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I want to invite you to do that today. Pray this prayer with me, and then I'll send you some information. Jesus, I'm a sinner. I believe that you are the Son of God, and you came to take away my sin so that I could have eternal life with you and live in your glory here on the earth. God, come into my heart. Help me to live for you all of the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.